Good morning, Keystone Church. Everybody bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. Some of you are saying, I have no idea what that means. I think it's an old-fashioned word. It means, are you feeling good? Are you excited? Are you awake? Now, are you bright-eyed and bushy-tailed? Yeah, this is going to be a rough morning. So next Sunday, Pastor Kyle is preaching our Christmas service, and that's going to be good. You don't want to miss that. And then the following Sunday will be my last uh, time as preaching pastor. But that sermon, December 26th, is mostly uh, personal testimony. So that means I view this as my final sermon. Buckle up. So if you were really hard up for something to do on Tuesday night, you may have watched the People's Choice Awards. Anybody watch the People's Choice Awards? You want to admit your desperation? Anyway, Dwayne Johnson, a.k.a. The Rock, uh, apparently cleaned up. Uh, male movie star of the year, comedy movie star of the year. He won the Honorary People's Champion Award, whatever the heck that means. Uh, I, I didn't even know who this guy was about four years ago or so. But um, Time Magazine named him back in 2016 and 2019 uh, one of the most influential people in the world. Huh. And then there's this website uh, called the uh, Teal Mango that says, claims that Johnson is the most famous people in the person in the world. I'm like, Wow. I'm like, what, why is that? Why is somebody like that so admired, so noticed, so um, thought much of by people in the world? Well, a couple of reasons. He's kind of handsome, I guess. Not a good one to judge that, but uh, he's ripped. I, I, have you ever seen this guy like with a, his shirt off? It's like... His bicep is thicker than my waist, I think. I watched a part of his workout routine one time, and you know, thinking maybe I could, maybe I could look like him. <laughs> and I thought, nah, it's not that important. That's too much work. I think he lives in the gym. Uh, been very successful, uh, both in the world of Hollywood and unprofessional wrestling. I'm just trying to make sure you're up to speed. <laughs> and uh, so very successful and worth a lot of money. It's about $320 million he's worth. I guess all of those things draw people's attention. I mean, it, it's really interesting living in the era that we live in. Um, you know, when I was, uh, say when I was 20, people were celebrities for having done things. Like you had home run records set, or you um, wrote amazing music, or you created amazing art. Today, you're a celebrity for being a celebrity. I mean, the world of Instagram and Facebook, you become somebody special and important just because you're special and important. I, it's really intriguing to watch how the world is creating the kinds of people that we admire and think much of. And I want to draw our attention this morning 
to admire the most influential, the most creative, the most loving, the most glorious, the best person, not just in the world, but in the universe. So if you want to turn to Jude, a couple final verses in this book that we've been looking at the last number of weeks. Depending on the Bible translation you have, at the top of these two verses, it says simply benediction, and that's the title of my message today, benediction. Now, a benediction is a, uh, a blessing. It's often given at the end of something. There are some churches that get, have a benedic- benediction at the end of every service, uh, and it might be this. Uh, it might be the ironic not the ironic, the Aaronic blessing from Numbers 6 where Aaron gives a blessing. Lord bless you, keep you, make his face shine upon you and so forth and so on. Um, but what's interesting about a, a blessing is the blessing is given to people. We, we desire this for you. So the, the pastor or the priest says, I, I want this for you. But it always points back. It, it starts with people, but then it points back to God. Because God is the giver of the blessing. We want God to do this for you. We want God to be this for you. And so this morning I I thought it's fitting as I uh, planned these messages out several months ago. I thought, what a perfect message to kind of end on. Um, A benediction to the body of Christ. So let's read a couple of verses. I'd like for you to stand again with me today, if you don't mind as we read the scripture, and uh, if you don't mind reading with me uh, through, if you have the New Living Translation, you can read it uh, from your Bible or phone, otherwise just read it off of the screen. Let's read it together. Now all glory to God, who is able to keep you from falling away, and will bring you with great joy into his glorious presence without a single fault. All glory to him who alone is God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. All glory, majesty, power, and authority are his before all time and in the present and beyond all time. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we love you and um, we realize that when we compare you to all the human beings of all times who have been noteworthy, who have been admired, who have been thought much of, that all pale in comparison to you, that all have a beginning and an end, you do not. Have uh, all had their admirers come and in some cases go, and you do not. That through all the ages we will be worshiping you, through all the ages, those who stand or sit and kneel in your presence will be making much of you. Your celebrity status doesn't diminish, for you are indeed greater than all. You have fashioned us. You have made us. Not only made us, not only created us, but did so in your very own image. And you have poured out blessing upon blessing upon blessing. I confess, Lord, that I'm far too clear on all the things that I think you haven't blessed me with. And not so clear on all that you have. 
that in the midst of the things that I wish you have done for me, I've blocked out or forgotten about all you have done for me. You are indeed a glorious, majestic, powerful God. My prayer for us this morning is as we reflect on you and your wonder and your glory, especially this time of year when you began this incredible work through your own son, not, not, not just to give us a kind of a lullaby picture to be remembered once a year, every year, but beginning an amazing work that will stretch on into eternity where you are redeeming a people for yourself from among mankind, a a people that will go on into eternity with you to make much of you and especially make much of you because of the good news of Jesus Christ. Speak to us this morning through your word and through your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Our remaining sin. Let's think about that for a minute. I don't know about you, but for me that's disappointing and troubling. The fact that I would put that word in front of sin. The remaining sin in my life. The remaining sin in your life. I've given my life to Christ, I've repented of my sin, I've turned to him in faith, and yet there is remaining sin in my life. Our remaining sin makes us nervous. It's the only thing that separates us from God. Isaiah 59, 2, your sin has separated you from God, estranged you from God. The thing that stands between you and God, between me and God, is not bad manners. It's not poor driving. It's not the fact that we were born into this household rather than this household, into this culture or this ethnicity rather than this one. The thing, the thing that stands between us and God is sin. And it is sad and frustrating and maybe a little scary to think that sin still bedevils us. The Jesus follower still sins. And we might even ask, Why? how can that be? Here I am, inhabited by God's own spirit. Here I am, I have been taken by God himself out of the kingdom of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of light. I have been made a son of God. I am in the image of God. And yet here I go, yet again. Stepping in it. Why is that? It's appealing. Every time I sin, I get something out of it. Every time you sin, there's some payoff for you. We mock other people who aren't like us. Why? Because somebody thinks it's funny. We get laughs out of it. 
We, we tell people lies about ourselves. Why? Because they end up thinking better of us than they should. Cheat on taxes? Well, that's a kind of a way to get even with a government we re- disrespect. She sleeps with her boyfriend? Why? Keep him on the hook. Because he's implied that if she doesn't do what he wants, some other woman will. We dabble in sins and entertain a thousand other temptations because every one of them has a payoff. Everyone. We may not even be conscious of that payoff. But back there in the corner of our subconscious, we know this will serve our purposes well. I've been a follower of Jesus now for... 42 years. And even though God has whittled away and chiseled away at this sin and that sin and some sins I don't have to wrestle with anymore, there are still other ones that's like, seriously? I, I still fall prey to this? And maybe you're like that too? Could it be that since I still do stumble that I might one day be rejected? I stand before God and he says, man, I thought we were on a good trajectory. I thought you were going to get your act together. And here you are. After all those years, we don't have a place for you. Now all glory to God who is able to keep you from falling away and will bring you with great joy into his glorious presence without a single fault. Doesn't that make your heart sing? His enduring safety makes us worship. You know, God has never guaranteed He'll fulfill our wish list. In this congregation, there's been a lot of suffering lately. Deaths of loved ones. Loved ones. We have a funeral here this afternoon. Sicknesses. A lot of COVID stuff. And I believe because of what the scripture tells me that God can and has raised people from the dead I believe that God can and has miraculously healed people I believe God can bring love to the lonely and happiness to the sad but I have never seen God raise someone from the dead And I don't know, in the last 1900 years, the accounts that I have read about or heard about of God raising people from the dead are really reliable. There's been enough, there's been enough written about them to make me wonder. I believe God 
has raised people from the dead, but whether or not he's done that or done much of that in the last 1900 years, I'm a little skeptical about. I've seen God miraculously heal people from organic diseases that doctors have no explanation for. But I have to say that the number of them has been very few compared to the number of people who have retained their infirmities or died from them. I know lonely people that are still lonely, and I know sad people that are still despairing. God does not guarantee that he will fulfill our vision of life as we imagine it. From Genesis chapter 3 to Revelation 22.15, we read about and we live in a world that is in massive need of repair. Broken lives, broken planet, broken dreams, broken promises. And I think that John Piper is right when he insists that part of the way we glorify God and perhaps maybe even the key way in which we glorify God is in finding our ultimate satisfaction in Him, not the world going the way we desire it to go. That we can give up this, we can give up that, we can give up Him, we can give up her, we can give up this dream, this plan, and say, God is enough when all that's taken from me. And Piper says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. That's the kind of darker side of our trust in God. But here in Jude, verse 24, the apostle shares with us the glorious side of our worship. And that is that God does guarantee our final deliverance. He doesn't guarantee he's going to fulfill our wish list, but he does guarantee our final deliverance. I've come to believe over the years, I was sharing this with someone last week, that there is something amazing and helpful to us as believers when we still stumble in sin. And and don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that, (laughs) as the critics would say to the Apostle Paul, well, what you're teaching is, well, let us sin more so that grace can abound more. No, that's not what I'm about to say. When I've found myself if not up to my neck in sin, up to my waist in sin, or up to my kneecap in sin. I I find greater joy in the gospel than I do when everything's clicking along just fine. Are, are Are you following me? 
In, in other words, if I stop sinning, or at least I perceive myself not to be sinning much or not to be sinning badly, and you know, when we, I think when we don't sin badly, we, it's easy to kind of convince ourselves, well, I'm not really a sinner, and I don't really need God. I don't need the gospel. But man, when I'm messed up, Man, the gospel becomes really good news, doesn't it? The gospel becomes glorious. The gospel becomes something I'm incredibly thankful for because left to myself, I'm in trouble. And I've come to the conclusion it's my deficiencies that make me delight most in God's competencies. It's my deficiencies that make me delight most in God's competencies. Boy, when, it, when we think about making it into the presence of God, when we think about making it out of this life safe and having the future with God in glory and that God is securing that for me, I'm not secure, God's securing that for me. Look at this. God's competency, he is able to keep you from falling away. He's able to keep. That's even reassuring to me as I think about my future. You ever think about what what if I do something so horrible that God will reject me? I, I don't mean to, but you know, even the Old Testament there was, there was a sacrifice for unintentional sins. You didn't realize you were in it until you were in it. <laughs> and there was a sacrifice for that. And I worry sometimes, you know, would, would, would I ever do something so awful that I didn't plan to do, but I, I did it? When, I was, when Betty and I were at the Grand Canyon this summer, <laughs> I'm, I'm weird like that. Some of you know I hate heights. And so I would walk like 20 feet from the edge of the Grand Canyon. If the trail that ran along the Grand Canyon was closer than 20 feet, I'd walk on the other side of the trail. Because I, in my mind, I had this concern that, well, what happens if I just have a moment of insanity and I run over to the edge and jump off? You ever think like that? No. No. And I've thought of that already. What, you know, what happens if there's, there's some temptation that comes in my life and I, I, I give in to it and it's, I'm looking back on it later, it's like, that's awful, you know. What's going to happen to me? The competency of God to keep, he's able to keep you from falling away. And not only is there a competency here in God's part, there's a guarantee. God's guarantee goes on to say, and he will bring you with great joy into his glorious presence. Not he might, not there's a chance he will. He will bring you, he will bring you, Keith Rohr, unreliable, servant of Christ, can't count on him, he will bring you home. Amen. And not only is he competent, not only does he offer this guarantee, there's, there's this an amazing accomplishment. Do you see the end of that verse? He will bring you to himself that final day 
with great joy into his glorious presence without more than 10 faults to your credit. Without a single fault. Without a single fault. Not one. This is not this is not an unusual claim of the Bibles. Some of you have memorized Philippians 1, 6. That he who began a good work in you. How's it go? Can you finish it? He who began a good work in you will carry it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Will, will, will. He started with you the day when I was 25 years old and I said yes to Jesus. He who began the work that day will carry it to completion. Romans chapter 14, verse 4, and there's a couple of chapters where Paul is challenging the people of God. And be careful that you don't be too critical of brothers and sisters who think differently than you, not about things that God's been clear on, but things he hasn't been clear on. And he says in verse 4, Who are you to condemn someone else's servants? Their own master will judge whether they stand or fall. And with the Lord's help, they will stand and receive his approval. Romans chapter 8 is a favorite of many Christians. Begins with his amazing words. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And then you get to the end of the chapter and Paul makes it real explicit. Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. Not angels, not demons, not time, not, not this, not that. Not, he covers the gamut. Can't separate you. Can't drive a wedge between you and God. R.C. Sproul says we're secure not because we hold tightly to Jesus, but because he holds tightly to us. You're unreliable, and so am I. But God ain't, isn't for those of you who are grammar teachers. Verse 25, all glory to him who alone is God, our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord. Uh, Don't miss that. He's speaking about the Father. All glory to him who alone is God. He's speaking about the Father, but then describes him as our Savior. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. I, I, I never forget that God the Father is the genius of gospel grace. He's the genius behind gospel grace. And he is the gift of gospel grace. Yes, Jesus the Son carried it out. But God came up with the idea. He started the idea. And he gave the idea. And because of this glorious gift to us, it should lead us to praise. It should lead us to worship. I think that's what's going on here. Jude Jude is reflecting on the safety and security that God has offered him. And he just uh, just starts praising God, making much of him. And this is how great you are, how glorious you are. 
glorious, you're majestic, you're powerful, you are authoritative, and, and it's interesting, all of those things connect so well with his claim that God secures us. You're glorious. It's probably the thing that makes you most glorious. You've given us the gospel and you've secured us in it. I was talking with someone several months ago and they're going through a tough time like some of you are. They're like wrestling with whether or not God is good. And I said, you know what? Almost everybody you go to church with wrestles with that. Almost everybody that you sit beside on a Sunday morning wrestles with, at times with whether or not God is good. And you say, what's, what's the answer to that? I'm like, that's the answer to that. The good news of the cross is the, if you doubt whether God is good, if you doubt whether God loves you, run to the cross. Wrap your arms around the cross. He didn't need to do that for you. He didn't need to do that for me. He could have left us locked in our sin. God would have been perfectly just to condemn every last one of us. And he gave his one and only son instead to be brutally butchered and murdered on a cross for a crime he didn't commit so that he could die for the sins of people like me. Can you imagine? Side side road if we understand that Jesus was the son of God incarnate and he always existed as son of God he always existed Jesus had a beginning but the son of God always existed that means that let's just back up I don't know what was going on in the intricacies of Mary's womb and all that for those nine months but let's back up prior to nine months let's say 10 12 months before Jesus was born did he know what lay ahead? People look at the neighbors and say, is it, is it okay to say yeah? Yeah, it's okay to say yeah. He knew what lay ahead. Can you imagine still continuing to go through that? Choosing to? Because you loved your father? I do nothing except what the father tells me to do. I say nothing but what the Father tells me to say. He did that for you and me. For God so loved the world. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And what he began in your life He'll finish. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, you're not a child of God, here's, here's the truth for you. He'll do the same thing for you. The offer is good for you as well. Because he loves you too. We often talk about the whole testimony of the Bible is that God is redeeming a people for himself I, I like to think of it I think the Bible reflects this that God is not just redeeming a people for himself but God is re extracting from all humankind he's extracting and redeeming a worshiping people for himself
God longs for you and for me to worship him. You say, well, I come every Sunday and I sing four songs. Yeah, I do that. But worship is far more than the songs that we sing, isn't it? In fact, Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Apostle Paul says that we are to offer our bodies. In other words, all of, all of whom we are, we are to lay at the feet of Jesus Christ And that is your spiritual act of worship, Paul says. So in other words, when you leave here today and you watch a football game this afternoon and you go away tonight, you go to work tomorrow, you go to school tomorrow, you meet with friends Tuesday night, and you take care of your child when they're sick, when you comfort a friend, and we encounter a temptation, all of those are opportunities for worship. It's like, am, is what I do, what I say, what I think, Godward. But here Jude articulates what he thinks of God. You are glorious, famous, uh, worthy of respect, worthy of honor. You are uh, majestic. You are great. There's no one, nothing that's greater than you. As Betty and I would look at these canyons this summer, I was like, this is amazing. This is overwhelming to see these massive rock formations and so forth. And God's like, yeah, I'm greater than that. You're powerful. You are authoritative. And all these things, I think that you know, Jude didn't pick all the descriptors to describe God, what he's worthy of. In fact, you go to the book of Revelation, chapter 5, chapter 7, the angels and, and the others in heaven add things to the God, you are worthy of wisdom, you are worthy of, of riches, you're worthy of wealth, you're worthy of this. But I think all of these things he plucked out to say, these things reflect God's goodness in securing us and bringing us safely home eventually. And good, God desires to hear our claims of his goodness and his worth. That doesn't mean when we say, God, you are good, God, you are faithful, God, you are glorious, that God somehow becomes more glorious, he becomes more faithful, becomes better. I tell Pastor Kyle after he preaches a sermon, Kyle, was a great message. My saying that doesn't make it great. It was great before that. But Kyle likes to hear that, right? So when he starts preaching, tell him. It's good, Kyle. It's good. Doesn't change, the, doesn't change the message itself, but God longs to hear from the people that he has created as well, that he is glorious, that he is powerful, that he is good, that he is faithful. I love you. Worship, worship. Worship the one who created us to worship him. And Jesus was asked, what's the greatest command? What did he say? Yeah, it doesn't work that well if you don't have a microphone, does it? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, my soul, mind, my strength. And that's my 
charge to you as the people of God. Love him. Serve him. Worship him. Make much of him. Proclaim him. Because he, unlike everyone else, is worthy. He is worthy. And whether God gives you five years on this planet, 50 years on this planet, or three weeks on this planet yet, make much of him. Because I guarantee you, if you know him through faith in Christ, he's going to bring you into his presence one of these days. And this life will be but a blip on the future of billions and trillions of years that God has prepared for those who love him, worship him, serve him. Father, we love you. We love you for who you are. We love you for what you have done. We confess that we are not worthy of what we have received from you. And yet that's not how you determine things. Some of us are well aware that you went looking for us long before we ever thought about looking for you. And that's mind-blowing too. Some of us are well aware that you convicted us about guilt in regards to sin, righteousness, and judgment long before we ever thought anything about our own guilt. And we're grateful for that. We were made in your image. But we were not just made in your image so that we could look like you. We were made to bear your image and to bear the knowledge of your glory to the world. The people we work with, the people we go to school with, the friends that we have, the, the people that we encounter on the bus or the airplane, the people we're related to. And I, I pray for this body and I pray for me and I that we might leave a mark for Jesus in the world and the culture in which you've placed us and say with the psalmist not to us not to us O Lord but to your name be the glory for Jesus sake